Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. My name is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. There's a big difference between a solution that measures a fundraiser's performance and a solution that helps a fundraiser perform. QBAC helps fundraisers to excel at their most critical task, developing deep, meaningful relationships with donors and cultivating them into lifelong givers. Give your fundraisers a better qualified portfolio, one that considers more than just capacity and simple scoring. Your fundraisers will also get insights into the hearts, minds, and connections of their donors. Fundraisers have a tough job. Help them close bigger gifts in less time by going to www.cubac.com to schedule a free demo. Podcast listeners, the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow is finally back on the schedule. We have several dates confirmed. Since 2014, our team has been providing high-quality one-day roadshows in partnership with nonprofit leaders who want to showcase their space and provide thought-provoking and highly interactive fundraising training in their nonprofit community. Our roadshows have been described by our guest as hands-down the best professional development experience that they have ever been a part of. This experience has been described as challenging assumptions with conversation-inspiring content and new ways of thinking. If you would like to register for one of the upcoming stops on the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow, just visit the link in the show notes. Hi, Kinley. I am delighted to have you as my guest today on the Fundraising Talent Podcast. You and I are going to be in Omaha together later this week. This is the last conversation that I've uh, been able to coordinate with with members of the lineup that are speaking uh, all part of the event that we're having in partnership with the um, Nonprofit Association in the Midlands, kicking off our Responsive Fundraising Roadshow, first stop for 2023. Um, so I'm like totally jazzed. Um, I'll be I'll be heading your way here in a couple of days, and uh, and we're all going to get to know each other. So I'm delighted that you um, have partnered with Kevin and myself and the folks at NAM and agreed to be a part of this. Uh, before we um, have a conversation today, how about we just uh, ask you to introduce yourself? Hi, Jason. We're really good to see you again. My name is uh, Kinley Sturdivant Wilson. I am a fundraiser here in Omaha, Nebraska, um, with um, almost two decades of fundraising experience, specializing in individual giving, major gifts, and data management. I am the chief relationship officer for HeyKinley.com, a really small, independent uh, fundraising firm, um, helping small nonprofits with big fundraising. Yeah, so Kinley, um, I asked this question of Brandy. She's in the lineup with us as well. Mm -hmm. And I always ask this before I'm coming to town um, because I've never been. I think I've probably only come through Omaha. I think the last Mm -hmm. time I was through Omaha might have been back in college and I might have been on a bus for all I know. (laughs) It's been a long long time. 
Um, so what is a guy like me, the outsider, who perhaps wants to have something great to say to a community that I don't necessarily understand, uh, what do I need to sort of keep my keep in mind in order to keep myself in check? Um, I, you know, I'm a transplant to Omaha as well. We we just yeah. moved back a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, what I'm learning that um, Rubens were were invented here. So the, there's Rubens? an argument of Rubens, the Ruben sandwich. Um, oh, Rubens, yes. Okay, yes. The the uh, corned beef sandwiches. Yes, the, I don't eat them. Yes. But, uh, wow. They, they're, yes, they're here. Oh, I gotta um, tell. That might be my first stop. Where do you get a good one? <laughs> you know, I'm not a Ruben. I don't. Eat, I don't like them. So, oh, uh, I, I, don't, I love her. I love a great Reuben sandwich. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. And um, there's a we have a really amazing zoo here. Um, oftentimes it's us in San Diego, like one and two. Um, but to um, win the crowd, you'll say that Omaha has the best zoo in the country. It's a really great zoo. And um, we're the home of the College World Series. And um, if you like uh-huh. college baseball, that happens here. Yeah. Um, and uh, what else? It's uh, the Huskers are um, the Nebraska Corn Huskers, as well as the Creighton Blue Jays. Nebraska, the UNL, University of Nebraska-Lincoln, is in Lincoln. But here in Omaha is Creighton University, so there's a there's you know that 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 push and pull of of like you know I equate I'm from the South, so you equate it to like Alabama Auburn type thing. Yes, but, right. But yes, um, I I I totally get that. Yes, and we're in uh, we're in Penn State country here uh, in the Mid Atlantic, so we totally get the uh, the rivalries. Yeah, and then you know uh, Warren Buffett lives here, so it's a that's a good thing too. Yeah, that's kind of what I've heard that he uh that he's a pretty modest fellow with a lot of lot of money in his checking accounts and um and he's made a lot of other people wealthy and um you know that's a guy who signed the giving pledge and um mm-hmm. had uh yeah, a lot of pe- people pay attention when Warren Buffett's got inv- uh, investment advice. Yeah, and he eats McDonald's every day for breakfast. That's yeah, that's what exactly that's that's what Brandy said. He and there's yes. a, there, but it's not big. Uh, there's a cheat, there's a burger place that he's a big fan of. I, I don't know what that is, but um, there's a lot so, of great burger places here. But oh, yeah, there's a there's a burger place. Some of some of our listeners that are probably in the Omaha area will be ashamed. Yes, I know. I apologize. Let me apologize. A Ruckus burger or something. There's a place called Runza. Yeah, no, there's not really a burger. That's okay. That's okay. So, Kenley, we invite our guests to come on here with a big idea, bold opinion. Um, I don't necessarily know the direction that's going to go. That usually Uh-oh. keeps me on my toes and without uh, without dominating the conversation. The more I know ahead of time, the more I can think about it and mm-hmm. and, and the more I have to say. So, um, I'm completely in the dark. What do you got for us today? Uh, you know, my bold idea, my bold opinion is that, you know, software applications and database management alone will not solve your fundraising issues. Um, we can have fun with that. Do we agree yeah. to do two sessions on that? <laughs> sure. I think, you know, I, I'm not here to, to, to like push a software system or an online application, but I think sometimes when we're, when as development, as you know, frontline fundraisers, we're, we're often um, bombarded with, Oh, this system or that system can help you really, really solve or help you achieve your fundraising goals. Um, I am not that those aren't tools. They are tools, but yeah. um, they alone will not solve your issues when it comes to fundraising. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, I just, it's funny, Kenley, that you brought that up or that, that that's the direction you want to go because I just saw, I just saw an organization, a CRM company sort of trumpeting, you know, some, some, some outcomes and, and, and the way that the mess or some care, com- competitive sort of comparisons to other CRM products. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and the argument seemed to have been made that they, that the, that the product itself is, is essentially was doing the fundraising. Yes. And I was like, no, wait a minute here. Um, I don't think the CRM is actually doing the fundraising. Um, perhaps it's, you know, gathering the information, et cetera, et cetera, right. and, and, and putting the information in place and keeping it organized. But I'm guessing that the, the fundraisers on the one side and the, the donors on the other side are actually the ones doing the, the giving and receiving, right? Yeah. Yeah, we hope. We hope that, you know, I, I, I'm not, I consider myself an old school fundraiser. Like I was taught um, that it's about building, maintaining their relationship. And yeah. um, I use a CRM that's been in place for a very long time. It's a really big company. It's the Rolls Royce of CRMs when it comes to the fundraising world. Um, as a hint, they're based in Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> But that what what I learned was we use that, but we don't. But the real work is is done face to face, and um, but how are you using that data management piece, um, to get you to that ask? Like, are you how are you how are we, um, contextualizing data and software to get us through the fundraising process? And we have to. I have to remind myself every day. Like, there's there is a fundraising cycle. And identification, qualification, cultivation, solicitation, and stewardship. How are we using our data and data management to help us get through those processes and those steps in that cycle? And are we doing it on purpose? And oftentimes, I um, when I'm helping clients or even when I work in offices myself, there is this sense of, oh, there's a database, but frontline fundra- frontline fundraisers aren't aren't in it right they're they're waiting for the database manager to to just pull a report i suggest that we on purpose structure our databases to help us be better fundraisers mm-hmm. and what really when we get to that process you know acquisition is one thing don't acquisitions something we all try to do and we can do that through uh software applications like bitpal or gift campus um, if you, cause you know, those things, we, we often send donors or prospective donors to those platforms to, to get the initial gift. But I could, my, I say to them, to that, oh, you've given us a gift. You've now given me per- permission to start that conversation and have that relationship with you. Um, so then the identification qualification piece is there. Now let's, let's qualify you based on on you what you've self-selected or what we what we directed you to during this solicitation so how do we so kenley here's my guess Mm -hmm. um and this is always what my challenge is because you and i are in the same um i'm not a uh 
I'm not anti-CRM. Um, I do ask the question like one of my previous guests did. I, I really appreciate I had a tech guy on here about 50 episodes back, and he made this comment. He basically referred to our, our sector or our space, the fundraising space, as being CRM-centric. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't donor-centric to him, right. he, that it was CRM-centric. Um, and, um, and I really appreciated that. Uh, and he wasn't, really wasn't saying it. You know, he, he wasn't really saying that in humor in jest. He was, he was, he meant that, you know, the CRM is pretty much at the center of this and without it, none of us would have a job. But I, but I think what, what, uh, again, getting to my question. So we're going to be in the room next week with a group mm-hmm. of people later this week. We're going to be in the room with a group of people, many of whom I would say have seen their professional career path sort of be centered around the CRM. So in many ways, they've become master tech, what I would call master technicians in the CRM. And so their, their professional identity sort of gets wrapped up in it. Um, and, uh, and consequently, that's really all they know how to do. And so when a guy like me or a guy like, you know, a guy like you says that the CRM isn't going to do the job for you. And a guy like me says, you got to learn how to take people out to lunch. You know, we, we might scare them off even before lunch. They might not stick around very long with us. I mean, you know, this is, this is an aside, but Kevin, um, one of the, one of the the people putting this together said, yes. hey, we should we should have your conversation after lunch." And I'm like, "No, we cannot talk <laughs> about data after lunch. Right? You have to do it before people fall asleep after they have their big salads or whatever." Um, I think to your <laughs> point, yeah. right? The the after that's funny because you're exactly right. The after lunch. So there's four sessions in this thing. Yeah. And the after lunch, the person who dares to to sign on for the yes. the right after lunch session is always the one who's the bravest soul because they've either got to be like totally well, bouncing around in high energy or they've got mm-hmm. to risk putting people to sleep. sleep most definitely. <laughs> you know, I, th- I think, um, you know, and I, and I hate to do this in, in a way is like, you know, we, we segment donors all the time, but we also, we oftentimes aren't segmenting kind of our field. And when it comes to experience and you mentioned taking, learning how to take people to lunch, and making that phone call and being able to have that conversation in person. That's, that's the way I was taught. Um, but I don't know if uh, fundraisers today are, are um, schooled on that type of fundraising effort in the, in the fundraising cycle. Um, I think a lot of fundraisers today are younger ones. I'm not as young, closer to 50 than 40, but um rely on tool that tool to 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 cycle the donor through the process without getting on the phone or or trying to meet meet people in person um covid was an issue for that um but i think even before that we um we're losing that touch i think the hardest thing in a fundraising space is maintaining our relationship i think it's easier it's easy to to meet someone on the street right hey very nice to meet you but the hardest part is maintaining it on organically and on purpose and that's where we sometimes get lost and lose donors because they make the initial gift and we don't do a, a good enough job um cultivating them to to get the second gift and so I think this is where we can use our CRMs and our other platforms to make, to help us cultivate as well as maintain a relationship on purpose. 
Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. Maybe you, this, maybe you and I are sort of reminding ourselves of what we, you and I talked about the first time we met. Mm-hmm. But that tends to be what I think. You know, I think about the studies that we do every year, and um, and a lot of these studies are funded by these CRM companies. And yes. I'm thinking, okay, you're constantly remi- basically the the whole industry, you know, whole sector is constantly reminding itself that we can that yeah, we've gotten pretty 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 impressive with our ability to acquire a donor but for some reason we can't manage to to retain them and i think i think getting back to that comment from my earlier guest the idea that we're so crm centric i think we all know that the crm cannot play that role it can help you it can you know it can help you get the technology in order and oftentimes we rely on a myriad of different platforms to secure that initial gift but to get to that subsequent gift to get to that second gift is oftentimes begins with a thank you. And the, you know, the CRM is not going to make that thank you call for you. Um, It it might, it might tell you whether or not you made that thank you call or not. Um, And it might give you a list of who to call, but if your fundraisers don't want to pick up the phone um, and have conversations, you know, uh, the CRM certainly not going to, I mean, maybe it will. I mean, in this age of AI and everything, maybe we're going to get to the place where we try to use, you know, robots to do thank you calls, but that's certainly not going to help us either when people start <laughs> figuring that out. You know what I mean? Totally. Exactly. I don't know. It's, it's, um, and again, I think it's, it's where it's, and I, and I say old school because I didn't have the technology as, as it lives today when I first started fundraising. It was, you had to pick up the phone. You know, yeah. it was, um, you know, speaking of those, those reports, um, I was reading a report, uh, a giving report from last year's giving and the giving report read that 12% of gifts, all giving last year was online giving. 12%. It's, yeah. nine, it's, it's over 9% of from last year, but you know, that tells me 88% of these gifts are not an online gift. I mean, my dad, who's 78, is not going to do it on, who's not texting you to give, right? He's not, that's not what he's going to do. Right. So right. I think that, and you think about this from a demographic perspective, um, of that 88, what percentages don't use online giving at all? You know, so the, what's built into that are like corporate and foundation giving, you know, those don't advise funds. But, um, but what work was put into that before that check was sent in the mail, if it was a check? But it's um. So I think that's where we're losing sight. I think we we oftentimes, and and I see this with my clients all the time, is that we don't track why people give; we track how how they gave. So yeah. what helps me when I do my my planning, my structure, my in the database is I want to track interest. I want to track why people give and what and 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 for me to find that out is part of discovery is have a conversation with them. And that's the part I enjoy. It doesn't feel like work. You know, it's it doesn't feel like I'm it's taxing. It feels like I'm just having lunch and having my big salad before I take a nap after lunch and and um and learning about them and their the reason why they give, like their partners and their children and how their dog is doing. And, and it also gives me information to have a continued conversation next time I see them. And, um, and I think that's the stuff that, and that's the part of, of the fundraising space, the relationship 
maintaining space that um, we've lost a little, a lost sight of a little bit. I think that, I think that's what bothers me when I see some of the way that CRM companies communicate with our fundraisers is that they, in some way or another, um, they don't go so, you know, some of their, their, their advertising, some of their messaging sort of, um, you know, creates the illusion that, that, that they can essentially have that by way of automation and, and, and a myriad of other sort of things, um, you know, using a myriad of different platforms and stuff that they can sort of keep that conversation going without at some point relying on the human being, right. the person in your seat or mine to have a conversation with the other human being, the donor right. who's writing you that con, you know, choosing to renew their support. Mm-hmm. And I think it tends to be this, um, and, and I sort of see it, you know, I've never, I've never articulated this, but I, 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 I was looking at, I was looking at some recent events that are happening and stuff. And there does tend to be sort of a more, you know, there tends to be a very more tech tech oriented sort of, uh, category of fundraisers sort sort of approach this with, with sort of technology being at the center of most of our thinking. And then there's people like yourself who are saying things and I would concur, you know, I'm, I'm putting, putting myself in the same camp with you. That perhaps in your car, perhaps calling it old school, but I think it's, you know, it's the people who sort of put the conversation at the center of things, you know, um, I think we're hearing a lot of, and and, and I think when we're having a lot of these conversations about how we're ever going to get philanthropy and and fundraising, right. It just seems like we're going to have to abandon the idea that technology is going to do it all for us. And we're going to have to, at some point, um, let ta- let 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 technology be complementary to the idea that human beings are the ones having the conversations. You know what I mean? And, and exactly what you mean. I mean, you know, we all learned this is like fundraising is about relationships. Right? That's all it's about. And um, if we don't uh, if we don't look at it that way, because you know, my computer is not going to have a relationship with the donor. but i think part of that is i can use my computer to have a better relationship with the donor yeah um because i'm tracking all the information is you know it's like managing the ask right for me it's i contact reports contact reports contact reports are a thing i hate doing them but they're a thing that information is embedded in my systems based on the donor and their donor individual giving plan and relying on that information to have a conversation with that donor is what is is paramount to have to remind me you know our portfolio our portfolios are big when it comes to donors and we don't remember everything i'm not going to remember everything about 150 donors it's just not or 200 donors in my portfolio somewhere yeah but it reminds when i check my data and i look oh you know they're very interested in this aspect of the of the organization Either I or the technical expert in my organization needs to be part of that conversation. You know, it's it's, it's that for me. I think I think fundraisers have to. Um, I've 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 referenced this a couple of times where CRM has sort of been the center of the uh, podcast conversation. I've referenced. Um, so I read Peter Thiel's book Zero to One right. a number of years ago, and and one of the things that that Thiel talks about in his book. Um, as it relates to CRM, he's specifically referring to um, to, or, I'm, I'm, or as it relates to technology, he's referring to technology more in a general sense, and that is that we have to know and understand 
technology is either competitive or complementary to human work. And that if we can't discern the difference, if we don't know which technologies are complementary versus, and I think you maybe you even use the word complementary earlier, you know, if we don't know how to identify which technologies are being designed to complement human work versus those that are trying to comp- compete with human work, um, you know, and I think I've even challenged a few CRM types to sort of answer that question because I, at the end of the day, I think you have a lot of CRM companies and other tech firms that are perfectly content with the idea of saying that we're trying to compete with the human being, essentially trying to, you know, get in the way and replace and therefore create greater efficiencies. Um, but it also ultimately doesn't, you know, ultimately they cannot deliver on those sustainable relationships. They know that. You yeah. Know what I mean? Yes, impossible. I should have prefaced this conversation by saying I'm not anti-CRM or anti, you know, fundraising platforms. I I love them. Uh, most of my career is is training on them and train and helping clients train with them. But I think it's 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 the the noise from those from some of those companies have gotten in the way of of um of how, what it really takes to be successful in the fundraising space. Yeah, so let's let's so let's talk about just some the, some of the sort of the practical things. So one of the things I've always noticed about nonprofit organizations, and and maybe this is just sort of to throw around some humor for the last five or ten minutes of our conversation, mm-hmm. is I've noticed that you know as as especially in the sort of small to medium sized nonprofit organizations, there's a there's a there's a habit of sort of moving between CRMs as development directors sort of come and go, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and, and is that the, is, is that part of the problem too? the idea that, um, you know, our consultancy, for example, at responsive, one of the commitments we make is what we call asset-based thinking and it's asset-based consulting. And it's the idea that we're not going to come in here and make recommendations that include a sort of a shopping list of things that you've got to buy, you know, mm-hmm. new hires, acquire new donors and a bunch of new technology. We're going to use what you have, but but is that part of the problem that when I'm the new, you know, development, you know, chief development officer at the, you know, United Way in in Omaha, for example, is is mm-hmm. is is that part of the problem that I just sort of come in on the scene and assume that I'm going to have to, I start with the CRM problem being, you know, overhauling and replacing that. That that's one of the issues. Um, I learned this a long time ago. Is we we like the systems that we learned on. Yeah. You know, like in Word, like old school Word, like right clicking on whatever, like instead of using the keyboard shortcut. Um, I, I had to, this is a, a real conversation I had with someone, a client. Um, they use a, a very large uh, CRM. I walked in and they're like, we need to, we need a new one. I was like, why? <laughs> they were like, well, the last person that managed the database did it all wrong. I'm like, okay. So I go in, I look, I did my like, run through my once over and there was really, really very few issues. Yeah. The issue was the person now that was hired to manage the database had no training on the database on how to yeah. use that database. Yeah. I think part of it is when we institute these new databases and these programs and policies, training is left out. Training yeah. is a really big component. Yeah. Um, so I have a client now that I'm instituting a brand new database and because um, they don't have one, they've been using Excel. They've been using QuickBooks, not even Excel. Um, so part of the conversation is, is, is if I, as I'm vetting CRM products is 
what does the cost of trading look like ongoing? Because, you know, I think, you know, that's part of it is we look and what's the longevity of someone to, to, to stay in a, a development department, especially if they're successful, like 18 months to 24 months. Yeah. So what does that look like for the next person? And what are the, are we writing that policy and procedures manual? That, you know, the, the system typically comes with one, but what is our what does our organizational one look like? And yeah. so not only are our powers that be that come in and say, oh, I really don't know how to use this system. We should just bring the one that I used in the past that, will, that I would argue that wasn't actually maintained or used that well. Now to this new organization, and no one knows how to use it, even the person who brought it over, because they weren't classically trained on the system. So, yes, to answer your question, yes. Um, but I think training, too, or lack of training is also a very big issue. Is the space, before I, yes, we'll sort of maybe wrap up, is the space just too crowded? I mean, is there, is CRM actually capable? So we we started with the idea that we can't, that we're expecting too much of it, right? Hmm. Um and and perhaps some of the conversation is sort of centered around the idea, uh, sort sort of the place where we've sort of come to here is that some of it's just cosmetic and and lack of training that you know we just like the we like the platform that we are mm-hmm. we were familiar and earlier trained on, but that doesn't mean it necessarily runs any better. But right. it, it's part of the challenge too. I mean, we've got a couple of big major players. You know, we know mm-hmm. the ones who you know whose brands are at the big conferences, and we know who rents the biggest booths at the at the at the in the trade yes. show in the exhibit halls. But is part of it that it's just too crowded of a space, and that the differentiation? I mean, is differentiation even really out there? Um, I mean, I know the Blackbod product, and most of my mm-hmm. clients use the Blackbod Blackbod's products. And I don't know. I don't know too many people that are doing all that much different than what Blackbot's capable of doing. And you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's. I think. I think the there uh, there is differentiation because there's some of Blackbot's products are lacking in certain areas. Um, yeah. Uh, all truth be told, I um my my training is in Razor's Edge. Yeah. Um, I've been using the system since it was different modules like yeah. we convert it from a dos version to the to like i think oh five. wow yeah um so i've been using it a very long time you've been, this you've been watching me. the whole oh man yeah. i've been yeah, seeing you, you've yeah. watched the growth you've watched the growth of the company i mean yes just blackbot yeah. as a company yeah yeah i tell people i w- literally went to my first job out of college sent me to charleston and I went through the first three levels of training in Charleston. So I stayed in Charleston for like almost a month Yeah, um, to do those trainings. So I, th- that's kind of how far back I go. They don't yeah. do those in the house anymore, but um, <clears throat> at least I don't think they do. But I think, but there's something to be said about parts of it work. Parts of it work, parts of Blackwood Razor's Edge work very, very well. Yeah. But why it works well is because I have had the classic training. You know, I, I, but everyone, every nonprofit doesn't have that resource, right? You have to send me to Charleston as an airline ticket, as a hotel for three weeks. Yeah. There's my salary. There's per diem. There's a car rental. Um, I don't think a lot of nonprofits today would would 
allocate those resources for something like that now. Now, when you say, I think that's fascinating. You've used that a couple of times. When you say you're classically trained, I know mm-hmm. exactly what you're implying there. You're basically <laughs> saying that you have a under, you have a, you have a deep appreciation and understanding of what the CRM tool is there to do. And so at, at, an, at an ideological sort of level, mm-hmm. right? So but even yep. before it begins to sort of come to the surface and we actually see it on our screen, you yes. know, you know, anybody who's classically trained in anything um, and understands the thinking behind the thinking, right? The, mm-hmm. uh, you know, totally. the, the, it's the, it's, it's, it's the way we think about what we think about. And sure. so, um, and and you're suggesting to me, and I don't know that, and that's that's in, it's interesting that you're using that term, and that's perhaps what's creating some synchronicity between you and I, and what we sort of appreciate about our work, because I tend to think that we're lacking in that that classically trained fundraiser, just in a very general sense, and you're sort of mm-hmm. saying the same thing about as it relates specifically to the CRM. Yeah, you know, totally. you know what I mean. Are we speaking? Exactly. Are we kind of on the we same are. page there? We are on the same place. I tell people, this is why I identify myself. I'm a frontline fundraiser, individual giving, major gift guy, who just happens to know CRMs and databases. Yes, I love that. I like that. Because, yeah. because I've worked in small shops where I was the guy or the person, not just a guy. I was the person that was responsible for it because no one else did it. Yeah. And I also realized what the tool could do. Yeah. So I'm, 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 you know, that they work in concert with us, with each other. There, there are theories of fundraising, tried and true theories of fundraising, that can be coupled with on-purpose database management. Yeah, and um, that's that. I think that's where sometimes, you know, and this is my last analogy. I was leaving a job in New York City, and I was moving to Omaha, Nebraska, and I was trying to fill my position and the issue i was having was i had i was finding people who were only fundraisers or only database management people they weren't a combination of both um we found some people there's i mean no one's a unicorn but the idea that it was there were fewer people who fit into that mold and um i think we should be getting back toward to that or getting to that um, because I think it's it's frontline fundraisers should be responsible for helping to manage that data because it's a, it's you use it we use it and if you're not if you're not using the tool properly then then we we there's a there's a piece missing in the puzzle. So Kenley, we uh, we lose our listeners about thirty five forty minutes in, so I don't mm-hmm. want to keep us uh, going too much longer. I do want to remind everyone that you and I will be in Omaha later this week um, in partnership with the uh, hosted by the um, <clears throat> nonprofit association of the midlands um, we'll put some information in the show notes you're part of the lineup i'm going to kick mm-hmm. the day off we're very grateful to Kevin and Mandy and the others brandy and Kevin and the others who've helped us put the event together. This mm-hmm. is the uh, first stop on the responsive fundraising roadshow. Um, Kenley, I'm guessing you're talking about uh, how to how to think about how to have a classically <laughs> a classical view of CRM ideology or something. Yes. Right? Yeah, I'm talking about the the title of my presentation is contextualizing software and data management in the in the fund in nonprofit fundraising. Yeah, I love it. Well, 
Kenley, um, one of the things I always wrap up with, if there's somebody listening to our conversation today, perhaps they cannot make it to the event uh, mm-hmm. later this week. They're not going to be able to, to show up in Omaha, but perhaps they've listened to our conversation. They are genuinely interested in perhaps some of the training that you provide as it relates to um, CRM, making CRM decisions and which platforms they should use, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, it, I'm guessing that's something you do and tell us about how you do it. Yeah, I do that. I do. I have a, uh, I work with clients all the time about um, developing infrastructure in their in their fundraising departments, um, training on um, CRMs, uh, Razor's Edge, Little Green Light, E Tapestry, um, a, a host of other products. And how do you? How is that really? How does that work? Um, help us be better fundraisers. So. Ultimately, my personal mission in life is that I don't want nonprofits to suck. And sometimes um, if we don't do a good, very good job fundraising, um, some nonprofits don't exist anymore Yeah, because of that. And um, so everyone can reach out to me. My email address is Kenley, K-E-N-L-E-Y, at heykenley.com. And um, on social media, at KD. S T U R S O N. So Katie Sturson. It's a combination of my two last names. Um, so I mean, I'm always willing to have a conversation. I do not drink coffee, but I will go and have tea and, <laughs> and an adult beverage. I love adult beverages. And when so you, um, um, I'm curious when you get, when you get a group together and they want to talk about CRM, do you, mm-hmm. do you necessarily turn on the computer? Are you the type of guy who could actually have the hour long, two hour conversation before you even turn the computer on? Yes. I mean, cause that, right. That's the type of thinking yeah. we're, we got to do, right. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's, there's conversation you want to have before you go into the CRM sure. that has to make sense to you before oh, you yeah. even look at the platform. Yeah, totally. And, and I think I, I like to look at CRMs from the back end. I, I like to look at um, CRMs from reporting. Like, what do you want to get from it? I yeah, don't like yeah. to track data yeah. for tracking data sake. Right. I think we want to, track data to be useful and we want to be able to produce reports on the back end that are useful for us to to be better fundraisers yeah i think sometimes yeah and the last thought yeah it's so we have to be i'm guessing we have to be guilty and maybe we have to admit to this that sometimes we're looking for the data to tell us something we want it to tell us yes. but maybe we don't want it to tell us <laughs> exactly it happens you know, all the time yeah yeah and that's what that's what data is is oftentimes i think we're fishing for the you know, maybe if we change the platform, it'll tell us that we're that we're doing more of what we're supposed to be doing right, and, and when in fact that's probably not the that's probably not the tool that was ever supposed to tell you that to begin with. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a reference point. Yeah. It's not. Kenley, it's, it's certainly been a pleasure. I look forward to being with you in Omaha later this week. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks so much. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent challenges our ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers. 
We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.